Kia ora, no mai haramai, and welcome back to the Kaho podcast. My name is Jodie A. Reid. You are here back with us, and I have an amazing guest coming forward today. Her genius just wows me every time I see her do anything. She is a major component of the Kaho program and just a beautiful, lovely soul. Let's bring forward Kay Marita. Kia ora, no mai haramai. Uh, what a nice introduction, Jody. That was really lovely. Kia ora tato. How are you all? And thank you for inviting me onto this awesome podcast. Kia ora. Kia ora, Kate. So lovely to have the moment and time to spend with you. I think it's quite an honourable moment because you're always up to some history-making moments. Um, can you share with the whanau whereabouts in Aotearoa you are from? Sure. Um, kia ora tātou. Uh, Tuatahi he mihi tēnei kia koutou. Uh, he no Ngāti Manawa ki te raroa, no tētahi wahi a tāhua ko Pangaru, a tētahi atu wahi ko te hekatu, um, he hapu o Ngāpuhi Nui tonu, uh, me Ngāti Korokoro, ko uh, Waiwhatawhata tōku marae, um, ki te taha o Hokianga, a tōku kuia he uri o Ngāti Mahanga ki Waikato, ngai tamanuhiri ki te tairāwhiti, me Ngāti Kahanganu, tētahi atu wahi a tāhua ko te hauke, a nei rā mihi ki So, sorry, just to confirm, who am I, where I'm from? I'm from a beautiful, my, my father was born in a beautiful place in the North Hokianga called Pangaru. And uh, that is where my grandmother is from. She is a Dagabal and also a Moringa. And her Moringa line is from a small place called Tehukatu uh, on the south side of the Hokianga. And what uh, separates us is um, this beautiful Hokianga harbour. I might just give you a little poke because um, I'm actually in Omapere in the Hokianga at the minute. And so um, there's some beautiful sand dunes out here. And the Hokianga Harbour is what separates the north and the south um, of, of, of these two elements of the Hokianga. And why the Hokianga is so important to our people, um, especially here in this part of Aotearoa, is, is said to be the very first landing place of Kupe, the great explorer that found uh, Aotearoa, or even called Aotearoa, what it is today. Uh, well, actually... Um, I believe it was his daughter on the waka. And so it's a beautiful place to be at the minute and also a great space of trade and connection. Um, so that's my grandmother and my, both my grandmother and my grandfather are from the side of, of the north. And um, I grew up in a small town called Fielding in the Manawatu. It's a really small little agricultural township. It was very uh, western Pākehā, but... I got to learn a few tricks uh, when I was growing up in that particular small community. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me, and this is where I am at the moment. Wow, what? How blessed are you right now to be in that spot? I just like, wow, that's awesome. Uh, for you, in your blessed place where you were brought up and when you were growing, did you always feel you were an entrepreneur? Hmm. Good question. I think that, um, so I grew up in Fielding. I actually didn't come here to the north until I was around 23. So I didn't actually meet my birth father again until I was yeah, 22, 23. So when I first came here, I was just amazed at 
sand dunes and the people. And then I also met all my first cousins at that same time as well. So I could see there were attributes of what we call momo that was definitely prevalent in my dun side. But I actually got brought up with my stepfather, his whanau, uh, in this rural town called Fielding. And growing up, um, I had a stay-at-home mum. Stepfather was a freezing worker. So I was raised um, having to sit in and listen to meetings, um, whether or not that was a, um, a stop work meeting for the freezing works, or I got dragged to manned meetings, which I hated at the time. I couldn't understand them, but I had to just sit and listen. And I had parents that were very passionate about education. But I think I've always been looking for a better way to do things. So I talk about my parents because they were both really hard workers and I watched how they organised their lives and organised themselves. And I think some of those attributes definitely came into me. My mum was an organiser. Fielding's a small town. There's not much to do. And so I was always using my brain um, to try and find cool things to do. So I kind of became a semi-event manager young and I like to organise parties because there was nothing else to do. And um, in my very first job uh, that I had um, was picking zucchinis in a zucchini paddock. And if anyone has ever done zucchini picking, it's hard. You've got to bend over. Um, you have to wear gloves. It's really sharp. Um, I remember, and I didn't last very long. I was pretty useless at it. But it made me think there must be a better way to earn my $4 or $6.50 an hour than having to bend over and break my back trying to pick zucchinis. But I also recognized that I had to watch my arrogance, even at that young age, because a lot of my friends' parents were working in those fields. And so I recognized pretty quickly that um, one, manual labor was not, I'm not very good at it. But secondly, I was always thinking, how can I do better? And um, the other thing I think that made me think differently about the way I wanted to do my life was books. I read a lot of books, again, not much to do in fielding. So I used to uh, read about different people and the different travels and different adventures that they had. And I think that also influenced um, the way that I thought. But I had never been around people that ran their own businesses. I never saw Māori that ran their own companies. I was never exposed to conversations around money. Um, my stepfather owned a house, but we weren't a whānau that had kind of wealth in our conversations growing up. It wasn't really until I hit university when I really started to think, how do I use or monetize my skill um, in order to create new incomes for myself? So it's in the exploring out of your little town that you figured things out for you? I think so. But I also learned a lot from those that were in my small town too. And I saw the the value of hard work. Uh, I saw and felt what it was like when you don't control your own destiny. So for example, you know, growing up with a freezing work farm, though, again, for those that have families that are in seasonal work, when the, um, the freezing work shut down, all the work finished. But what I also learned from a young age was that when the freezing works were actually closed down, what effect did that have on our community, especially as one of the largest employers of Māori families? So I also saw that when communities lost work, what happened in their household? So alcoholism shot up, family violence shoots up, 
and other really negative aspects of, of community living shoots up because there's no mahi. And I just think that those elements just made me think about, well, how else do we build a level of resilience in our community? Like, I didn't know what that was at that time. And say, hey, look, let's build economic resilience at that stage. I just thought our livelihoods are so dependent on being the workers for other people. There's something inherently not okay with that. Totally. Like, um, what else is there? Is there another way or, you know, because I see our whanau too, they're generational, some of them in the zucchini paddocks. So some of my friends have their names, their mums, them, and now their children coming in. For you, was there the pathway for you from your parents in any form of entrepreneur or? Yeah, my mum, my mother was the organiser of our fun, and actually I didn't realise it because, I mean, again, I, I think I took my mum for granted quite a lot because she was able to stay at home. I hated it that she was at home. I wanted her to be working like everybody else's parents. I couldn't understand why are you home all the time? And why are you so interested in me learning at school? Who cares? You know, like I just want to be like all the other kids. So, um, but my mother was entrepreneurial. So her and her husband, uh, they uh, opened up an eel factory in the Waikato. Um, she was also, cause you know, my mother was a 1935 baby. So you're in that kind of just out of World War One, World War Two, and my grandfather, my grandfather and my grandmother were both native language speakers. Grandfather was like six foot five, um, and he lost his leg in the war, and so he decided to move his children in the 30s to Wellington, you know, and he moved his whanau, and now you know he was the probably the blackest man in the whole of Wellington, possibly, and tall as. Uh, into the whitest community. And he raised uh, his children to be um, basically honorary white people. So that's that kind of first stage of colonization. And so then in the 1930s to the 1950s, when my mother was, you know, a young woman, um, you know, she was, she met her husband. And as I said, they had um, set up and had an eel factory. They were already exporting overseas. Um, she also set up um, antique stores in Ponsonby. She ran a boarding house in Auckland. And all of this happened even well before I was born, right? So I only knew her as my mum, who stayed home all the time. And it wasn't until I was much older when I started to try and be curious about her life. And so there were ways that I saw her do things. For example, she always had a little red notebook. And she could do calculations really fast in her mind. So when it come, came to organising tangihanga or organising our whānau or organising whatever it took for our, you know, like whānau land things, my mum would do all of that. But she would never explicitly say, hey, this is the roadmap to do the things. I was just always watching. And I didn't understand or didn't see the relevance of it until she passed away. And because she'd organised all of our tangihanga, I didn't know she was the very first tangihanga that I, or tangihanga, sorry, everybody, is a funeral. The very first funeral that I had ever had to organise without my mum, and it was for her. And so there were many things that I learned in that action, um, which are the same types of attributes for an entrepreneur. You must understand what resources do you need? What is the goal? Um, how do you utilise uh, your workforce or your family, whānau, to help you get things done? Um, catering, looking after people. So I think that my parents naturally did that and I got a lot of it through osmosis 
And then there were also lots of gaps in probably programming that didn't quite serve me very well from my parents too. So I had to look elsewhere for inspiration and connection. So definitely some kinesthetic learning in the experiential hands-on um, learning for you. Were there any uh, mindsets that you had to break through for you in taking on bigger roles? Oh, heaps. I mean, like I said, I wasn't raised in a whānau that talked about money and I wasn't raised to understand saving and I definitely wasn't raised to see the value and um, even to know how to price, you know, my time and life. So, you know, I left, I literally ran away from fielding as soon as I could. I was 18. I went and had an adventure and went to Victoria University and kind of was going to have this life of partying and politics and you know and it took me a long time to finish my degree and in that you know I started off with my, my career in government and worked across a range of different Māori development roles in that space and I got to a place or time where I recognised that I couldn't continue to serve inside of government in a way that suited me um, so when my son was born in 2004 uh, we set up our first company. My first company was called Kata Kata Limited. So I moved to Wellington, thought I was a hotshot. I got pregnant. I had to go home, live in the little flat next door to my mother. And, um, and then that wasn't quite enough for me. So then I got the other flat on the other side of my mum and I turned that into an office. And my, my son's father at the time, um, and I, you know, he had a love for music. I liked to organise events. And so I set up this company called Katakata Limited, and Katakata means the laugh. Our tagline, I remember, was connecting art, business, and community. And so, you know, when you come out of government and there's a level of comfort, actually stepping into owning your own business is a completely different mindset. Not only that, I had no idea what I was doing, absolutely no idea what I was doing. I had no idea about taxes, and I didn't know how, what an accountant did. I um, didn't understand... I knew how to get funding and I knew how to organise things. And so I guess in those first years of our company, 2004, I think maybe to 2006, um, I, yeah, I was uh, just not profitable. You know, I was just kind of delivering services, getting money for it, and money was going straight out the door. But it felt good to be able to have a side hustle and to do something that you know, we loved to do in creating an opportunity there. So I guess the mindset was trying to shift from working to running my business, but I wasn't, I was still a little bit scared. So I've always worked and I continue to work all the way through till 2010. And then 2010, my relationship ended with my son's father and I kind of had a, a wall, which is the, this was the second role that I had, paid role, um, and they ran out of funding. I think everything kind of came to a collision point and I was like I'm either a going to continue for my mana or or my capabilities and strengths to be determined by other people by other funding or I need to actually step into the world and um, actually start to put my own signature to things so I joined forces with my elder brother Mata and together we created making everything achievable and that was the space for us to I guess, dance and share, um, you know, his skills and my skills and bring those two together. That's so awesome that you got brave enough to step 
forward um, like all of the whānau and kahau, I think, to do that whole entrepreneurial journey. For you, is there some tools you still use today that help you with pushing through those mindsets? If they ever would come forward or any kind of barriers come forward for you? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it was 2010. So, you know, I've been running my business now for a decade. 11 years now, 11 years now. So, yeah, all of it, all the hard things that popped up, you know, and they still do now. I think that it, at different development stages of your journey, you go through different stuff. And I think that as a young mum, really focusing in on survival, that was really my priority at that stage. You know, I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was just making sure that I made enough money to be able to look after my whānau because I was the sole breadwinner at that stage. Um, So that was, you know, being in survival mode as a mindset. Um, What that mindset does to you is it makes you very determined to make sure that you've got enough to pay your rent and, you know, have enough food on the table and make sure that you've got a little bit extra to do the things that you need to. But then also you've got to um, balance that out with, you know, well-being time, whānau time. And unfortunately during that, you know, we didn't have digital skills. We didn't have computers or Facebook, I think even. It was only just a new thing. So I still had to physically go out and work, not on a zucchini not as a zucchini picker, of course, but you know, I had I was exchanging time for money. But around 2017, yeah, around 2015, 2016, I ended up picking up an amazing role with Māori Women's Development Inc. And it was really through that role um, I was really exposed to financial capability training. So then my mindset needed to shift again around what's the narrative that I was raised with around money, what are the limiting thoughts that I had about money, and um, you know, how do I actually live within my means and needs versus wants. And so I think that those were really excellent skills. And uh, one of the things that I love about Kahao and Te Whare Hukuhuka is that when you teach, you learn. And I think for me, that being in a position to work with many women from around Aotearoa, around our financial stories and creating a financial future for ourselves I kind of had to also be about it myself because I wouldn't have felt okay about sharing that knowledge without being a practitioner around 2020 2020 about 18 months ago you know we were a 1.5 one and a half team um, and I'd also stepped out of MWDI because I'd also you know seven years with the organization really helping to lift and grow um, wahine Māori and business, I also started to get a bit of an itch, which was that I, I also needed to be okay about, like, it's, you know, it's my time to actually put my company out there. And so um, feeling okay about stepping into my own power as a businesswoman was really scary. It was really scary because I'd always had a little bit of a safety blanket and I just needed to step out of that safety blanket because, again, same thing. If I'm going to be sharing and teaching whānau how to run their own businesses, then how effective am I running my own? Um, So around 2020, maybe 2019, I'd lost a baby and I kind of birthed a new company. So (laughs) along with making everything achievable, I also birthed um, with my co-founder, Ben Tairia, a company called Aho. 
which is a, a genealogy platform, an archiving system. It was a completely different business. I'm not technical in my background, um, but I do have a love for um, whakapapa and history because as I said earlier, my grandparents were of that generation. We were now the third, second generation of Bano um, that were separated from our land and separated from our, our history and our stories. And so I saw the impact of that in the youngest of 11 children, not having access to our whakapapa, not having access to uh, our genealogy, our stories. And so how awesome is it to be able to create a technology so that we could have, anybody could have access to their own whakapapa and it could all be safely and safely protected and stored. So I had to shift another mindset was that I'm not technical. So whose business is it that I'm in a technology company? But I realized that it's the same thing, whether or not it's the skill of um, e-commerce or the skill of running a, a hui or the skill of running a household. There are particular uh, tactics and ways of operating. So I was able to shift my mindset and go, I can do this. I can set up a, a technology company and we can actually uh, take these ideas that we've got and actually make them into something. I think my last point around the mindsets was in, in 18 months ago when COVID hit, um, the whole world was turned upside down. And um, we were invited to help support uh, our iwi in the north to respond to COVID and find ways to help our whānau. And we didn't know anything about this virus. And so we grew from a team of, and in the last 18 months, we've grown from a 1.5 team to now having over 15 staff all across Aotearoa and one in the Philippines and also one in Melbourne. And so, again, I've had to level up another notch to understand what does it mean to employ people? What does it mean to be responsible for putting kai on, you know, kai on the table of 15 kaimahi every month? Um, all the roles and responsibilities that it takes to manage a company. And so you've got great ideas and you've got to really work hard on developing your service but also uh, as a business owner and the legal obligations and responsibilities it takes, as well as being an entrepreneur. So I'm now in this really interesting tipping point of moving outside of time for money, um, learning to delegate effectively so that the team can be self-managing um, and that I can stay in my areas of strength. And that's one gift you know, many gifts that Travis has given me, but this has been the biggest gift, I think, was to effectively delegate, systemize, operationalize your business so that you don't have to be in it and don't waste time doing stuff that you are not good at. Well, I feel like your whole life's prepared you for this moment right here for you to get into this space. Um, for you, so now the websites for the farmer, if they want to connect with your um, knowing and your awesomeness, where would they go? Um, just check out www.mea.nz. Um, it'll just, which is a landing page at the moment, but it, our site will be live in 2022. If you want to learn about AHO, www.ahau.io. Um, that's where you can learn about our genealogy work. Um, and of course, you know, um, moving into the e-commerce space and just briefly, like 
why do I think that this mahi is important? And why have I joined Te Whare Hukuka? One, I love the thought of us being able to influence, positively influence and lift up the lives of 10 million Indigenous peoples from around the world. I think that that big, hairy, audacious goal is an amazing one. Uh, or that purple, that purple cow. That, I think, is um, a magnificent aspect of Te Whare Hukuka. And I think the secondary piece is seeing the real benefit of whānau, taking an idea and taking it through the system and then seeing the impact of being able to launch their business and launch their idea and all, all their products and services to the digital world, to the world generally, so that more people can learn about what they do. But that it's not just, hey, I've, bought a, you know, I've got a store, I've got a website, but it's the whole system of driving traffic towards you, which um, enabling you to have raving fans, understanding how to really deeply connect and engage with your audience and also spend time uh, understanding how to manage money and uh, how to continue to optimize your store so that your customers love everything about it. And I think the other great thing that we definitely learn is you build to your customer. Often, which I understand, most of us start off in a business with a great idea because, you know, we think, hey, look, I love it. Then everyone would love my idea, right? But actually, you've got to build to your customer. And so how do you communicate with your customer? How do you connect with them? How do you um, ensure that your product and your service is tailored to them? And um, I love the tactics that we've been able to share and, uh, and research or talking to people or asking questions so that you're not just kind of designing a random thing. It's actually an intentional platform to create uh, an opportunity for people to spend their money on the things that you love, the things that you produce. And I think that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Kay-Marie. You said some really awesomeness right now. Um, for the last little question I'd have for you would be, what would be your advice now for the Kahal students? And what sort of, where would they go now? If they're sitting here, they've just launched, and what would be the next move that you would suggest for them? I think that um, everyone should be mapping out their, their process for the next 12 months. Like, this was hard to get to this point in time. I think you'll need to start to map out month by month how you're going to roll. And you need to keep continuing to build on the platform that you've developed. I understand a lot of our students have just finished the, um, the Henny Boss program that's delivered by Māori Women's Development Inc., which is next level awesome. Um, but I think it also helps to understand that launching a store, getting your products and services is part of the puzzle. The other part of the puzzle is understanding what does it take to run a business, a profitable company. And so therefore, ideally, you're always focusing in on how can we do what we love, but also make sure that we're making money. So every month, I would say, what are all the tasks that you need to be mapping out in front of you? Uh, what relationships can you be fostering? How can you start to find as much free training and free opportunities and free development that's available? So there's a lot of links that will be shared with you so that you can pick up those opportunities. And I think uh, the next three months are probably gonna be the most critical of whether or not you stay in business or not. So just because you've had the pressure of the car hole program on top of you and you think, okay, I've got to get this thing, done, got to get this thing done. So we've helped to build a muscle of dedication and consistency, but now is the time for you to stay consistent and stay with it and 
fall in love with the data, fall in love with your system and nurture it like a plant every single day um, because it's only through effort, sustained focus are you going to get your business to where you need to go in the next 12 months. Thank you so much, Kay, for your time. Um, as a team leader, I just want to thank you for always being there for us as team leads. Your leadership has always been so valuable and um, we love hearing your wisdom. So thank you so much for your time. Was there anything else you'd like to share just to end us off? Hey, just um, thank you all, our amazing students and the work that you do is so appreciated. And, you know, there's lots of things that uh, we can continue to do to, uh, to improve. So if you haven't yet given your feedback uh, and all your concerns, you know, we welcome that because feedback is our friend and we can only improve if we receive the feedback. So that's one um, request that I put out to all of you. I think the other part that I just want to put forward is the importance of believing in yourself. You know, like you must have an unwavering belief in yourself. And like, you've got haters, you know, if they're hating on you, well, that tells me that there's something going on with you, which is awesome, right? So you just need to stay awesome, um, stay focused, get rid of anything that's going to um, distract you from your goals and and just take really good care of yourself. That's the main thing. Like, love yourself like nobody else will because at the end of the day, no one's got your back except you and your whānau, and that's all that matters. Mauri ora. Mauri ora, okay. Just like uh, one of my beautiful students says, just do you, boo. This is Jody Reed coming live for the Kahal podcast. Thank you, K-Marie, for your wisdom. This is on behalf of the Kahal e-commerce program for Indigenous by Indigenous. Have an awesome day, whānau. Mauri ora. Thank you for listening to the Kahau Podcast by Kahau Our Program. E-commerce for Indigenous by Indigenous. Support our mission to uplift the lives of 10 million Indigenous people by following us in our social media channels on Instagram and on Facebook at Kahau Our Program. Should you wish to learn e-commerce with us, send us an email at kahau at twh.co.nz. See you next time. Matewa.